When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everybody, and thank you so much for joining me for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. In just a moment, I'm going to be joined by Shamani Jan, who is the founder and CEO of Consciousness and Healing Initiative. And she is also a scientist and a psychologist, excuse me, devoted to learning more about the power that we have for healing. So we're going to have a really interesting conversation in, in just a few minutes. Uh, as a reminder, please be sure to stay with us during the breaks to hear from our amazing watch team of on-air contributors, bringing you some great information on your health, uh, leadership, finance, technology, diversity, and education. And if you ever have questions for myself or any members of our watch team, please be sure to reach out to womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T, or feel free to shoot me an email at susan at womentowatch.net. We love to hear from our listeners, and we understand our audience is continuing to grow and uh, share some wonderful inspirational stories with us. Uh, so now I'd like to welcome to the show Shamani Jan. Shamani, thanks so much for being with me. Thank you, Susan. It's a pleasure. And tell me where you're calling from today. I am talking to you from Greenville, South Carolina. Green. Okay. And what's happening down there weather-wise? Because it's crazy. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's so funny because I just got through doing a news segment this morning on gratitude. And I realized that I have to feel <laughs> extent. Now, I just moved recently from San Diego, so I should tell you that. So I've been a little bit grumpy about the cold weather. and But I have to tell you, with the rest of what most of the country is going through right now, I feel extremely grateful to report there you that go. it is only about 35 degrees here. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, that's so true because I came in and uh, was talking to Frank, my producer, about the fact that my brother, who lives in Chicago, was sharing the temperature with me there. So I have nothing to um, complain about either. Yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing how um, the weather is fluctuating these days. It, it really is. Um, listen, I want to, um, there's, a, there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about, but as always, I want to start with your beginning and find out a little bit more about the young Shamani um, as a little girl. And I understand from my research that you've been fascinated with healing and, and the human potential since childhood. Uh, you were born in East India, 
and you learned uh, what is called the Jan spiritual teachings and practices at an early age. I wondered if you could tell me who taught you those teachings and, and what one of your earliest memories is as a young girl um, being curious about that. Yeah, absolutely. And in just a small correction, I was actually born and raised in the United States. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Emigrated. Uh, no problem. Okay. My parents emigrated here almost 60 years ago, and they were actually the first Indians to come to Greenville, South Carolina at that okay. time. And so when I was growing up, there were, you know, a few more uh, than them. And now there are, of course, thousands of Indian families here and many other cultures as well. Um, but, you know, one of my biggest memories growing up was really the diversity of religions that, you know, I experienced, I guess, me being the the more diverse one, I guess you could say there, where most of my friends were Baptist Christian, and I went with them to school. And they were curious about my religion, and I was curious about theirs. So where I would go to church with them, they would also come home and, you know, kind of ask about what is Jainism and what are our spiritual principles. And so it was a really neat experience for me to grow up in the South where there was a deep focus on spirituality through Christianity, you know, Mm -hmm. mostly that's what I experienced um, with my friends. Um, And yet at the same time, there was a respect, at least with the people that I hung out with, um, for other people's viewpoints as well. So if you could tell the listeners in, you know, a sentence or two, what what is the, uh, the main philosophy behind Jainism? Absolutely. So Jainism, if if the listeners haven't heard of it, if you haven't heard of it, you're not alone. It's a very, very small religion, almost called a philosophy that originated in India and mostly is there. There might be about a million Jans total worldwide. Um, And that figure might be up a little bit more, but most most Jans are in India. And the basic principle that Jainism is known for is nonviolence. It's really the basic heart of the practice um, for everything that we do. And if you've ever seen pictures, for example, of monks and nuns where they have kind of a cloth over their mouth or they're walking with a broom where they're sweeping away insects, that is simply because they're taking nonviolence to the level of choosing to, for example, kill less organisms when they breathe and make sure that they don't step on insects um, because Jans have a reverence for all life forms and try to do as little harm to life forms as possible. So can you tell me when you were young um, and you started to really have interests in your own uh, religion beyond just a typical curiosity of a, of a youngster, was it the nine, excuse me, the nonviolence part of the religion that was most interesting to you or was it more about um, the power of the healing, which we're going to discuss more. Yeah, I mean, it was really all of it because it, what I loved about Jainism is that it gave me a framework for understanding life, honestly, you know, as many religions and spiritual philosophies can. Um, and we don't really get a, a full picture of that in school because, of course, you know, school is, is different here. Um, what was nice about Jainism is that, you know, not only they did, did they talk about, oh, you shouldn't be violent. I mean, that's kind of just a principle, right? You can think that's of right. it as almost a commandment. But mm-hmm. they got into, you know, basically a whole theory of metaphysics of why, you know, of why that was a problem and, and what happens and, and, you know, what happens with our behaviors and our thoughts and, you know, and, and, you know our emotions and how does that actually affect our soul's growth or lack of growth? So there was a whole framework that, you know, was kind of 
shown to us through the practice of Jainism and that, you know, that resonates in many, many different religions and spiritual traditions. And for me, what I really found the most fascinating were all the things that they were saying about practices like yoga and meditation and how they could foster healing down to the biological levels in our body. And so I would read these books and they would talk about, oh, well, if you breathe, you know, this way and you do this sort of pranayama breathing, you know, this type of yogic breathing practice, you will facilitate your parasympathetic nervous system to get more activated, relax your body and bring you closer to God, essentially. So I was reading these things and thinking, well, how do they know that? You know, how can they be so sure of what they're saying? Um, and that really just set aside a, 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 a profound curiosity, I guess you can say, into understanding some of these concepts that they were talking about, the subtle energy bodies, meditation, yoga, and their effects on health. Do you do you think that people are more open today than ever to learning about, you know, these alternative uh, therapies, I'll, I'll say medicines? I would say so, yes. And I feel like there's a need. And, I, you know, I think that there I think everyone is recognizing that the current system that we have, which is, you could say, um, one sided. OK, is uh, is not completely helpful, okay, to, to, to sort of put it in the least. And if we, you know, really want to bring this kind of to the forefront of our consciousness, we can think about the, the current health epidemics that we have right now, mm, right? We have yes. a massive health crisis, not only in this country, but worldwide, but significantly, let's just talk about the U.S. for a second. We have a major health crisis. First of all, our life expectancy is actually down for the second year in a row. So instead of going up the way it should be, it's actually down we have a huge opioid crisis, which I think most people are aware of. The statistics are now one in 96 that you will die from an opioid overdose, that a person will die from an opioid overdose. There's a higher chance of a person dying from an opioid overdose in the U.S. than there is from a car accident. That's, okay, that's, that, that's, that's a shocking. Colossal. Yes, it is. Listen, we have to take a quick break. So let's pick up with that when we come back. Uh, I'm speaking this evening with Dr. Shamani Jan, and stay with us for our Health Watch and our CEO Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Measles, a virus also called rubiola, the most deadly of childhood rash fever diseases, spreads through the air when an infected person coughs or sneezes. Starts with fever, then cough, runny nose, red eyes, maybe diarrhea. Then a rash of tiny red spots starts at the head and spreads over the body. Can lead to pneumonia, swelling of the brain, or even death. So contagious that 90% of unvaccinated people in contact will develop measles. You can catch it from an infected person as early as four days before and four days after their rash appears. The vaccine called MMR protects against three diseases, measles, mumps, and rubella. First shot, children 12 to 15 months of age. Second shot, between ages 4 and 6. The vaccine became available in the U.S. in 1963. And by 2000, measles were virtually eliminated in the U.S. Though the vaccine is very safe and effective, a pediatrician from Baylor College of Medicine states lobbyist groups spread misinformation linking vaccines with autism, a claim wholly refuted by the Center for Disease Control. However, some states allow parents to opt out of mandatory vaccinations if they have a personal or philosophical objection. This has led to yearly outbreaks since about 2010. In 2018 alone, 17 outbreaks across the country. An increase in the number of travelers get measles abroad, still common in parts of Europe, Asia, and Africa, 
and bring it back to the U.S. Most of those who got measles were not vaccinated. Then measles spread when it reaches a community here where groups of people are not vaccinated. January 25, Washington State Governor Inslee declared a state of emergency due to a measles outbreak. Health officials fear an epidemic will spread through several counties. In Clark County alone, up to 7.9% of kindergarten children are not vaccinated. Who's at risk? Children under age one, pregnant women, and those who aren't vaccinated. So Divas, protect your children, get them vaccinated. Do you have a financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number? At the Foley Hillsley Group, that person is Kristen Hillsley. Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the Panorama Process. This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley Hillsey Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, Incorporated Member SIPC. Log on to fhbaird.com to learn more. That's fhbaird.com. So if you need a financial advisor you can trust, call Kristen Hillsley at 610-238-6636. That's 610-238-6636. Now, the women to watch. CEO Watch. Hi, I'm Dawn Zier, CEO of Nutrisystem with today's CEO Watch. For the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the number one thing to pay attention to as a business leader, and that's company culture. As a leader, setting a deliberate culture should be a top priority, and it's not a one-and-done sort of thing. You must constantly tweak it along the way because organizations are not static and your culture needs to continually evolve. Last week, we talked about creating a facts-based culture. For the next few weeks, we'll look at what each letter in that acronym stands for. Focused, accountable, customer-centric, team-oriented, and solution-driven. This week, we'll specifically look at the FNR facts-based culture, which is all about focus. Focus is important not only to identify what you will do, but what you will not. At Nutrisystem, we do this by creating a short list of corporate priorities designed to grow both our top and bottom line. These are the strategic imperatives that we must keep our eye on and work toward against every day, in addition to the business-as-usual sort of stuff. These goals are cascaded throughout our organization, ensuring all goals are aligned and that ownership and responsibilities are clearly understood. The team has provided a laminated placemat to remind them of our strategic priorities and to make sure that their daily activities keep us collectively focused on the right things. We establish clear metrics against these priorities by which we measure success, and we have frequent check-ins around progress. If an initiative is not going as planned, the focus quickly shifts to how to adjust it to get it back on track or in some cases to even kill it. Knowing that not all new initiatives are going to work, creating a culture that allows you to fail fast is important to sustaining growth. Postmortem why things didn't work and learn from that failed attempt. Equally important, when something does work, postmortem that as well. Seems obvious, but you'd be surprised at how many people don't analyze why things work. Thanks, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier from Nutrisystem, and I'll be back next week to talk more about company culture for CEO Watch. Have a great week. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Thank you again for joining us this evening at Women to Watch. I'm talking with Dr. Shamani Jan, who is a psychologist, a scientist, and the founder and CEO of 
Consciousness and Healing Initiative. Uh, I wanted to share a quote, Shamani, that I read. Um, you said that to achieve such a lofty vision, and, and that's in reference to the work that you're doing in trying to explore and research alternative uh, medicines, will necessitate major transformations, including within the healthcare and scientific systems, as well as within ourselves. And I think you're so right about, you know, that is a very lofty goal, and I think it's so critical and important today. I wanted to ask you how you manage the overwhelm of having such a lofty goal as that. And and what do you say to skeptics, people that really aren't open to hearing and learning more about uh, ways to heal other than traditional medicine? Sure, I'd be happy to answer that. And, and just to pick up really quickly, because I think it ties into this point on the issues with the health crises that we have. So we talked about the opioid crisis, there's a chronic pain crisis, there's a mental health crisis, many different health crises. We, you know, we're hungry for solutions and the current solutions aren't working very well. So people are naturally gravitating towards what is called in this country alternative medicine. Some people would call it holistic medicine. Um, If you were in another culture, you would actually call it indigenous medicine because these systems of medicine like Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, have been around for thousands of years. People are now a little bit more open to exploring the effects of these things because um, there's more science behind them. So just a quick example, uh, in Tennessee, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield has actually stopped reimbursing for opioid medication and started reimbursing for acupuncture. That's because there is evidence behind acupuncture for reducing pain um, and without the side effects that we're seeing with the opioids right now. So just an example of how systems are changing. It's a slow process and it's important that we do the research. So yes, it can feel overwhelming, but for me, you know, when we see progress, even small bits of progress like this, we could be considered big bits of progress. I mean, you know, for a major insurance company to take that kind of stand, even within one state, shows that that people are actually listening to the evidence. And I think that there is an openness now to really finding the current solutions that um, are going to help us mitigate this health crisis that we have. And people are really starting to come to the table, work together. Um, there's more of a respect for diversity of thought, diversity of opinion, and diversity of culture. One of the things that I think has kept this work from scaling in the past is because it's been seen as foreign. Yoga was seen as foreign, meditation was seen as foreign, acupuncture was seen as foreign. And now with, you know, such a diversity of culture and approaches in in our country, including in the big cities, but also in rural areas, it's just not that foreign anymore. People are actually practicing meditation and they're experiencing the benefits and they're realizing that they can be Christian and still practice meditation. Um, and it doesn't preclude them from, from prayer, you know, for example. So we're seeing all these shifts um, that I think are really heartening. Um, and, and that is really what's going to help us with scaling and transforming these systems. Ultimately, everyone wants to feel better and everyone wants to do what works. And, you know, I really notice this when I talk to doctors. At the end of the day, they want to know that whatever they're referring to their patient works, that mm. it has evidence behind it and it's not going to hurt them. Right. You know, there's so much trial and error um, because there's so many vast illnesses. And um, I wanted to talk about your your initiative is a collaborative uh, accelerator with di- with diverse perspectives on healing practices. I wanted to ask you where you go to find the right collaborators, number one. 
That's a great question. Um, often, to be honest, they come to us um, or we learn about them. We, you know, we connect with them doing, you know, specific work. Um, in the case of our scientists, when we first started kind of putting our scientists together, it was seeking out and really actually already kind of knowing um, who the best scientists were in the area of biofield science and healing, which is a, a key focus for the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. And biofield, for, for those of you who haven't heard of the word, and most people haven't, it's just kind of a fancy term that a lot of us scientists are using now to explain the fields of energy and information that guide our health. And so there are people doing research in these areas of biofield science. And what we did is we basically asked them if they wanted to come together and share what we knew and, you know, put together some publications for the public about what it was that we knew so they could share that. And what we've noticed is that actually there's been a tremendous enthusiasm with the people we've reached out to to collaborate because they also want to scale the work. So I think when you're working to scale collaborations, it's important to recognize and acknowledge the expertise of each person, each organization. What do they bring to the table? What are they good at? Um, make sure that they are honored for what they're good at. And at the same time, show them how they can leverage what they're doing by partnering with another organization that does something that complements what they mm. do. So for example, pairing researchers with educators, pairing healers with scientists, Yes. Um, you know, our, our, what we've noticed is that people are ready, willing, and able to do that because they really want to scale the work collaboratively. Correct. You know what? When, I, when we come back, we're going to take another break. I want to talk to you about your ability that I've seen to educate people about all of this in a very relatable way. We will be right back. Stay with us for our Leadership and Finance Watch. You're listening to Women to Watch. Women to Watch. Leadership Watch. Hi, everybody. Holly Dowling here with your Leadership Inspirational Watch today. And so excited about the topic. And you can hear it in my voice. I'm actually even talking with a slower pace. Because what I'm about to share with you is one of the greatest secrets in our world that I believe as human beings, leaders, anybody out there, we don't give ourselves the gift of solitude. You know, you're hearing a lot about mindfulness, especially in the corporate arena. And yet people ask me all the time, what does mindfulness mean? And at the end of the day, what I love to say, it's called nuggets of solitude. You see, I, I put together my favorite inspirations in a book a couple years ago called Hollyisms. And over and over again, I pick up the book to remind myself. And one of my favorite ones is silence is nectar for the soul. And we are not giving ourselves enough time to truly be still and be silent. And here's one of the biggest reasons why. And I want you to listen to this carefully, especially if you're leading teams and organizations. And at home, are you inspiring the people around you? to take time to relish in silence and solitude because seven minutes a day is all you need. And crazy as it sounds, we spend so much time shoving and dumping information in our brains and trying to absorb more and more knowledge and more and more stuff and all the noise around us. And frankly, what you need the most is silence so you can hear the wisdom from within. And we all have it. We just don't tap into it. And trust me when I say a golden nugget of wisdom will come through you if you honor your spirit, your soul, and give yourself some solitude. So please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you and hear all about the things that are happening in your world. And I'd love to be a source of inspiration. Reach out to me at hollydowling.com. 
Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. The Women to Watch. Finance Watch. Hi, this is Terry, and this is Maggie, and we're from Fortis Wealth. We hope your 2019 is off to a great start, and a new year often prompts people to review their finances and get more organized. So Maggie, what are some of the things that we help clients with early in the year? Well, it's a very busy time. We make sure that our advisory clients get their investment activity and performance reports for the last year. Our chief investment officer has been busy writing articles and updating his blog about market events and trends. We have also been planning and holding our first women's forum events for the year, which center on financial information that is of particular interest to women, like how to help their parents age in place or prepare for a lifestyle change. So what have you been working on, Terry? Well, our team is busy, too, making sure that our advisory and planning clients are scheduling their annual reviews, because as we know, life changes, so you need to review the plan. Our tax team is hard at work reminding clients about gathering the information they need to complete their returns on time. What other suggestions do we have for our listeners to get better organized? It's quite a checklist, but we encourage people to review all of their savings and investment accounts, making sure they know what they have, where the accounts are, and how they're performing. This includes plans offered by their employers, like 401ks, stock options and awards, and deferred compensation plans. What about using software to track their expenses? Knowing how much you spend is a great first step to getting your financial closet in order. There are also secure websites that allow users to view all their finances in one place so they can have a current snapshot of their entire financial life at all times. There are many tools available, and many financial advisors offer them as part of their service. And Terry, don't forget about cybersecurity. We should definitely mention that. It's so important. At Fortis, we constantly remind our clients to use secure email, use strong passwords, and change them regularly. So listeners, let's get organized. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm speaking with Dr. Shamani Jan this evening about healing and wellness and and medicine and um, all kinds of things that I think people are very much interested in today, more so than ever. One of the things, Shamani, I think that you do very well and that's really important is to educate people who do not have the terminology or vocabulary or understanding of, you know, scientific concepts. And um, 
I wonder if you could describe the way you do the the connection between the mind and body and, and how you see that as uh, powerful when it comes to healing. Sure, absolutely. So the first thing I tell people sometimes is that I am a researcher in an area called psychoneuroimmunology. Every time I say that word, it's really hard for people to repeat it. <laughs> They're afraid they word. run away. <laughs> so we tell yep. everybody it's P&I for short. You know, uh-huh. and I say, if you can say psychoneuroimmunology 10 times really fast, you get your degree. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But really, what is that word? I mean, yep. it's really about the psyche, which is actually means spirit, but mm-hmm. lots of people will say the mind or emotion mm-hmm. and its connection with the brain and the immune system, and now the endocrine system. So what we're doing is we're looking at how our mind, our emotional state, our state of consciousness affects our healing through the body, but also, you know, on the emotional, mental, spiritual levels. And so we're just starting to uncover how deeply important and valuable this connection is. And you can see this, for example, in the placebo research um, that's, you know, kind of just taking off. And there's some wonderful research that's being done, for example, by our Harvard colleagues. And the latest, Susan, I don't know if you've heard, is that they're doing a big study now based on three studies that they've done that are called open label placebo. So what does that mean? First of all, Susan, if I tell you, you know, when I say the word placebo, what does it mean to you? Uh, Something that is, you know, used in a study that does not have a particular um, anecdote or Right? It doesn't have an active ingredient. There you go. Okay. It doesn't have an active ingredient. So that's placebo. And if I told you, let's say I I gave you a drug and then later I told you it was placebo, how would you feel? Um, Tricked. (laughs) Tricked, right? This is exactly how people think placebo works because this is the old model of thinking about what placebo is. It's not real, it's not active, and you're being tricked. Now, what the research is actually telling us is that. It's very real. It's not an active drug, but it has a profound effect on your healing. And by the way, you don't have to be tricked. So the latest research is showing that you can give people a pill and tell them it is a placebo. I'm actually going to give you a pill and I'm going to tell you that this is a placebo. And I'm going to tell you that placebo has been shown to work through the mind body to foster your healing. In their cases, it was for IBS or for fatigue and cancer, or for pain. Three separate studies they have done now that showed that if you tell patients this, they actually get better. In some cases, as good or better as if they had taken the regular medication. So what is this saying about placebo? Well, it's, it's proving, right, the connection between the, the, the psyche um, and the body, the, uh, exactly. right, the uh, immune system. Exactly. So what it's showing you is the power of your consciousness to heal yourself. You don't need the pill. You know, it's not in the pill. It's not because it's in in what we call an inert, right, an inactive pill. Mm -hmm. It's not the inactive pill. (laughs) It's your mind, right? right? It's you setting your mind and your expectations, your rituals, your sense of conditioning, all these things that we know matter in what we call placebo. Placebo I have a whole talk that I've given on this called placebo equals heal holistic elements that activate life force, because what the data is telling us is placebo is actually telling us about the power of our consciousness to heal ourselves. So it's, can it's not you, about the drug. Yeah. So um, can you share perhaps a personal experience that you've had where 
you've witnessed this in in yourself in your own life. Absolutely. You know, the first time that I received a Reiki session, I was in my 20s. And that's actually what set me on my path to study healing. Because, you know, before that, I was very interested in it. And I was studying mantras. And I'm a singer. So I was always fascinated by the use of sound and, and to foster healing. But I didn't know how to study it. And then I just uh, happened to meet someone who did something called Reiki. And I'd never heard of it before. You know, I was in my 20s and hopped up on the table, fully clothed. You know, she said she was going to just do some things. And, and I trusted that it wouldn't hurt me. So I just said, okay, I'll try it. And it was, it was really profound. All of a sudden, I could feel this energy moving through my body that I'd never felt before. And when I felt that, I also had, it was actually quite uncomfortable. And, I, and that's unusual. I mean, I don't think most people, if they have a Reiki session, wouldn't tell you it's uncomfortable at all. It's generally a very relaxing experience. In my case, I actually felt this tightness in my gut. And I hadn't told the healer that I'd actually suffered from acid reflux as a child, right? Or as a teenager, you could say. Um, but so she hadn't, she knew nothing about my health history at all, but I had this tightness in my gut and I recognized how that tightness was related to these old thoughts and old emotions that I was literally holding onto that I was stuck with. And once I made the conscious choice to release that, the energy mm. moved. Mm. And, and that was a really profound experience for me because she actually, this was all done in silence. So she wasn't guiding me or talking it out through with me or anything. It was just something I noticed that was happening when she had her hands on my body. Mm. Um, but it was so profound because I thought, wow, I've just realized that there is this profound link b- between what these healers are calling energy and what just happened to me for my healing. It was amazing. Well, one of the things I think people will question is is the sustainability of these therapies. So in moments, you know, sometimes we can can find relief because we're kind of leaving where we are, but how do we sustain this um, this place of calm and healing? And, and maybe I'll ask you about that when we come back. Stay with us sure. during the break for our Diversity Watch with Hanadi. We'll be right back. This is the Women to Watch Diversity Watch. Diversity Watch. Peace be upon you all. This is Hanadi with your weekly diversity segment. I have always wondered why Islam's standpoint with regards to alcohol is so strict. Not only Muslims are required not to consume alcohol, but they're also required not to be present with other people while consuming it. The general rule in Islamic legislation is that the benefit of the community is prioritized over the benefit of the individual. In other words, when a personal freedom threatens the common good, that specific freedom is restricted or sacrificed. Just a few weeks ago, a family of five was killed by a drunk driver that took the wrong way in full speed and caused a fatal head-to-head collision. Isam and Reem Abbas, along with their three children, were killed instantly on their way home from a vacation. Many lives have been lost or threatened with individuals abusing their personal freedom. The emphasis on community and teamwork is highlighted in the Quran. Quote, what is the matter with you that you do not support each other? End quote. That was God asking people in chapter 37, according to Muslims. What we can accomplish as a team cannot be accomplished doing the same work individually. There is a blessing bestowed on people who collaborate. Quote, God's hand is with those who work in group. End quote. The divine boost is expressed in this prophetic saying. The fact that everyone is working for the benefit of the group amplifies the work. Just like in a soccer team. Every individual is playing and passing the ball so that the team scores regardless of the player. 
Every team member will leverage the strength of their teammates. God says, I make a third with two partners as long as one of them does not cheat the other. But when he cheats him, I depart from them. End quote. Thinking selfishly is a way of cheating in a partnership. Today's prophetic ethic is working together for the common good. In this community, remember that we're partners. To know more, connect with me on hanadispeaksout.com. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world, hollydowling.com. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm so honored to have Dr. Shamani Jan with me this evening. Her work is fascinating to me and, and, um, I knew I would not be able to ask all of the questions that I have. But um, one of the things I think when when I talk to others about this topic of, of healing and medicine and alternatives to what we know today um, as medicine, people can understand where you can perhaps um, be in a place of calm or get some relief from pain or perhaps be hopeful Um around disease, but then they are skeptical of the sustainability of that. So speak to that that topic of whether or not we could really um, be able to heal and then remain healed for a lifetime. It is such a wonderful question and such an important question. So I, I feel there are a couple of different parts to this. One is, and, and this is so important because I've, I've talked with po- folks before who have said, for example, oh, yeah, I went to acupuncture once. It didn't really help, you know, and then I said, well, what was your issue? Oh, I've had chronic pain for about 15 years. So we have to be, you know, mindful that nothing is a, you know, is a panacea, what we call panacea, like a cure-all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everything takes sustained effort and sustained practice and sustained um, use. So, you know, with acupuncture, for example, let's say you have chronic pain. Acupuncture has been shown to be effective in chronic pain. Does the data support that you need to go every day for the rest of your life? No. But do you need to go more than once? Yes. So, you know, that's just sort of common sense in terms of, you know, when we look at it from this biofield perspective, you have a pattern running in your energy field that has to move in a different way. And it takes a little time to move it. Now, let's take another example of just, you know, our own healing. Let's say we don't have chronic pain or whatever, but like like the, what I was sharing earlier, let's say you had some kind of a profound healing experience or a profound spiritual experience, right, um, that also helped foster your healing in many different ways. A lot of people are asking this question, how do you sustain that? Let's say you go to a meditation retreat and you have some profound insights and you know you, you feel like your field was cleared and your health mm-hmm. issues are better. Mm-hmm. How do you sustain that? Right. Well, the main answer that I'll sort of quote my my healing teacher, Rosalind Bruyeron, is practice, practice, practice. So we have to engage in some sort of a regular practice, whether you want to call it a mind-body practice or a mind-body-spirit practice or a spiritual practice that helps you to really ignite your healing potential and keep that flame burning. And that can be many different things. 
it really is what gravitates to you. But if you're a person who prays, then I would say make sure that you set aside a ritual time every day to do prayer. If you don't have time to sit for an hour or 30 minutes for meditation, make sure you sit for at least 10 every day. Make it a priority for yourself. Um, the same thing with stretching. Having a cup of tea in the evening before, before you go to bed to reflect so that you can sleep better. Really integrating these healing rituals into your life, believe it or not, will actually help you to sustain your healing because you've got to have that quietness of mind and a settling in the body to allow the body and the mind to heal itself. It's really important. And in our day-to-day, we're so go, go, go. I mean, yes, you know, I don't know I, about you, Susan, but, you know, my mind is going all the time. So I really have to fight <laughs> sometimes to make myself feel. <laughs> I have to make myself do it. Well, I think, and, you know, that was one of my questions for you. What, you know, what do you believe the impact of stress has on our health? And I think it's it's pretty obvious. Um and I do believe that you can get to a place. I, I think there's two things that are very, very um, that impact our our health, and that is stress and and attachment, and attachment to things and and places and people. And if you're able to eliminate those on a regular basis, if you start to slip, you kind of remind yourself. But I, I do believe that you can be healthy on, on a regular basis. But how do we engage in the world, right, with, with all that is going on um, and do that at the same time? That's the Wonderful trick. Wonderful question. Yeah. And I love what you said about stress and attachment. And if you explore that a little more, when I explore it a little more, what I think about is stress is a perception. Okay, stress is, some people may get mad if I say this, but stress isn't real. Okay, stress is, there are some physical stresses, I will give you that. Um, But when we're talking about mental stress, it's a perception. I actually did a really interesting study once where I looked at the effects of when we perceive an event as a hassle or an uplift. turns out there's actually a validated scale for that. So you can ask people, did they see, you know, for example, spending time with family or going to work or, you know, different events as a hassle or an uplift? And depending on how they perceived it, their immune system changes were different. So if they perceived things more as hassles, they had increased inflammation. Mm. And mm-hmm. if they perceived them more as uplifts, and it could be the same thing. Right. <laughs> they had yep. less less inflammation, right? So the perception is really important. Now you mentioned attachment. Here's how I deal with it as, you know, a CEO of a, a budding nonprofit that is very ambitious. Our team is very ambitious. I'm very ambitious. I have to constantly remind myself that this work is not about me. It is not about my attachment to what I think needs to be done. Mm -hmm. It is about me being in a place of service. So as long as I stay in that place of service, I don't have as much attachment to the outcome. Mm. When I don't have as much attachment to the outcome, I don't have as much stress. And guess what? It usually goes better because my ego is not involved in the process. Well, that's when things go wrong, which they will, then you don't have that big letdown because you You were anticipating. That's exactly Right? right. Tell yeah, yeah, I'd love to know what a typical day is for you. What what tell me what you're doing aside from the interviews and the speaking and and I love you I love your talks. I really do. I think you speak very um clearly and simply about a very broad and complicated topic. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. That's very kind. So, okay, I'll tell you my typical days. I think a lot of folks will relate to this. I get up too early for my taste. I'm not a morning person. I get up at six in the morning. I make breakfast and lunch for my kids. I take them to school. How many and, children you know, and how old I are have, they? 
I have two kids. Uh-huh. One is almost 11 and the other one is nearing 13. So they're okay. both in middle school. And my joy is actually driving them to school where I get to put on music that they don't like and they complain <laughs> and then I change it and then they, they play the music they like and, you know, and so I, I do that. Then I usually go home, have a bunch of calls with my team. We do different kinds of research. We have a few active research projects going with healers and um, areas of collective consciousness and meditation. We're also doing a conference, which I should mention, which is July 18th with our partner, Institute of Noetic Sciences. Um, That is going to be a wonderful conference on healing. I invite everyone to come, and it's going to have representation from healers as well as scientists. Where will it be? I'm sorry, where will it's it going to be in? Yeah, it's going to be in Santa Clara in the Bay Area. Okay. And um, we don't have the website up yet, but it will be if you check Institute of Noetic Sciences. Um, it is with them. It is a pre-conference with them. So it is part of the Institute of Noetic Sciences conference. It's a whole day pre-conference on the biofield and healing. Okay. And uh, we have some wonderful people coming. Larry Dossi, Lisa Rankin, Rosalind Bruyere, Roland McCready, uh, many others who are known in the field. Okay. And, um, and let's, so anyway, yeah, let's yeah. share your website as well, because I'm sure all of the information can be found there. Sure. Uh, www.chi or chi.is is. So www.chi.is. Also, we do free webinars on healing every first Friday. Um, you just go to webinarsonhealing.com and you can get all the information on that. Okay. Um, listen, I, I really enjoyed speaking with you this evening, and we'll have to have you come back on the show another time to bring Absolutely. us some updates because there's, it's just so exciting. It's an exciting time, I think, for, for medicine and healing, and you're doing great work. Thank you so much, Susan. It's my pleasure. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. A big thank you to our sponsors and our watch team of contributors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.